Good morning. Good to, good to be at Southfield today. Yeah. Favorite day of the week. Good time. It was, I had, it was fun driving through the fog today. Yeah, so, right? Here, I'm glad know. it happened today and not over the last couple of days. So we decided uh, we we're doing a vehicle swap with our youngest in Texas. And um, that's just like a little too far a drive for me to do in one day and, and all. So, so we talked him into meeting us in Joplin. Ran down to Joplin Friday, ran back yesterday, got back nice and late. But I don't know if this happens for you when you're driving. I just kind of get a kick out of this. When we're driving a long way, I'm, I'm not only the primary driver, I'm the sole driver, <laughs> because you're not supposed to fall asleep when you drive. And some people like to do that, and I want to arrive alive. And so... Uh, but I love that she still offers. Oh, oh so, yeah, I'll oh, try, yeah. I'll try. And then 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> she didn't even offer anyone. So anyway, <laughs> we're driving along, and uh, this, I, I was conscious of trucks yesterday. This big, this big pickup goes by with a horse trailer behind it. I mean, one of the biggest horse trailers I've ever seen goes hauling by, this lady's driving it, and she just goes wing. I mean, I'm going more than 70, and uh, she's easily going 90. And I've had this whole lecture with Nate about now that you're driving a truck, it's a hurtling piece of metal. You got to drive carefully. This woman doesn't follow those rules, all right? <laughs> she's just going. But she's so, got the extra horsepower. So that was, that was, <laughs> that was between... Yeah, and you and you got a lot of manure, but anyway, uh, that's between Joplin and Springfield. And then I'm driving along, and some somewhere shy of uh, between between Springfield and Rolla, she passes me again. I'm like, how'd that happen? What in the world? So we we stop we stop for gas around around Rolla, and um, and she's in the gas station. And mom goes, there's your friend. And I'm looking for birds, right? Because a friend means a bird is there. I'm looking. She's like, no, the big horse trailer right in front of your face. And, and the lady had her window open. So I walk over and I'm like, you have passed me twice. You're amazing. You are an amazing driver. And she's telling me that she's teaching her, her 16-year-old how to drive the horse trailer Wow. Okay, so she's tense, and I'm like, well, I just traded a Corolla for a truck with a kid, and I don't think he understands yet that it's bigger. So we're both sharing tensions. <laughs> Driving along further, got to shy of Fenton, and she goes zipping by, honking on the horn, <laughs> waving at me. I'm like, three times you passed me. It's nuts. It was crazy. So, so I have a friend out there somewhere. We, we, had, a, we had a great time driving along, having, having a good time. It was, a lot, awesome. it was a lot of fun. So uh, Weekend Update came, and you know the big, 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 big news Small of group. Weekend Update is? Yes. Small group leaders for Quest. Believe it or not, Quest is around the corner. Summer's around the corner. So we still have Green Lake registration going on, uh, but now we are, are starting to fill out our small group roster. And what that looks like is we, we need as many volunteers as we can to have that, that small group experience. So you're leading seven or eight kids throughout the week of camp, um, which is the last week of June. And we, we can only take as many kids as we have small group leaders. So again, it's, a, it's another thing where we would love for Quest to grow as, as big as we possibly can make it, but at some point, we have to cut it off because leaving a small group leader with 15 kids would not be fair to the leader or the kid. Um, so we, we try and keep it nice and small, like I said, seven or eight, um, and you'll have a specific age group. So I know that some of us have probably been sitting here for years hearing, yeah, small group leader, small group leader, quest, quest, quest. And you've, you've heard it four or five times, and you're like, no, no, maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe next year. Make this year the year that you give it a shot, that you try something new. 
Uh, I promise not all of them bite, uh, but it's, it's a really, really fun, it's a really fun chance to not just get to serve, but to serve kids and show them uh, the, the gospel throughout that week. I did that at least five years ago now, and those kids are, they were, they were second graders then. They're, they're, they're growing up, and it's fun to still have that connection that we had all the way back to doing that group. So um, it's not necessarily the type, what am I trying to say? You may try it and do a week and say, I have done my week in purgatory. I don't ever have <laughs> yeah. to do that again. Yeah. You may try it and say, I want to do this the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But what I love about it is it really does give you an incredibly unique experience uh, to, to connect with kids, to help them to connect with God. And so we're hoping for 50, 50 small group leaders, which will provide us enough space to really, really reach out well. So again, get that, get that signed up. Other stuff on there I'm going to leave alone. I do want to highlight one more time that uh, for sake of translation, and you can see all the different languages this offers, no matter what language you speak, uh, you can come to Southfield on a Sunday morning. We have, these, we have these devices available. You're holding an iPad, listening. The listening is a little delayed. The, the written speech is pretty much right on time, but you're not listening to both anyway. So you got that. We've also got Claudia back again today. And I really, 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 really tried to limit big words, and uh, <laughs> I failed. But I gave, it, I gave it to her in advance, so, so she, knows, she knows what's coming. So, yeah, yeah. So let me, uh, let me run in through a couple of things that, that I really want to highlight today. And the first really goes back to last week talking about the world. And we, I've talked, I had, I had three different groups this week, and we talked about creation. We talked about the order of the seven days. So you have light and darkness. Then God separates the water, sky, creates sky. The third day is plants. The fourth is sun, moon, and stars, fish, birds, animals, Adam, and finally rest. You have the seven days. And one of the things I wanted to highlight in my groups is sometimes when skeptics look at this list, they say right there in front of you is the reason that your creation theory doesn't work and the creation and the reason that your writers are so primitive that they don't even understand science and they got it all wrong. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. <laughs> where, where, where are plants created? Plants? Yeah. Day three? Day three. When's the sun created? Oh, yeah. That would cause a problem. So pe for, for people that say, yeah, you photosynthesis and all the things that you right. need to... Yeah. Right. From, from a science yeah. standpoint, people look at this and they say, see, you got your order wrong. You couldn't even, you couldn't even in the first several verses of the Bible get yeah. your order right. Well, what I love about this is that if you come down to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, I don't remember the verse. I'm sorry. I told you it's toward the end of the chapter. It talks about the New Jerusalem... Um, yeah. Start reading at verse 22. You'll never see that again. <clears throat> I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the sky. Boom! And the Lamb, its light. You know what I love about this? You, you think this is the reason creation is garbage? This is the reason that proves that God right. is. Yeah. All you need is God. You don't need the sun, moon, and stars. And we're going to go back to a day that there will be no sun, moon, and stars because the glory of God is the light. 
that sustains life. God himself sustains life. So, so as much as somebody, somebody throws this at you sometime, don't get all smirky and, you know, <laughs> got you. But hey, got you. Because it's all about God. It's not about the sun, moon, and stars. It's all about God. Yeah. So That's awesome. I love that. I just love that. So I've been in my Bible reading, <clears throat> listening to Leviticus. Mm, 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 Leviticus. What do you get in Leviticus? Well, we talk about sin. We talk about sacrifices. We have examples of right and wrong, what to do and not do. There's lots of blood. Blood, blood, blood. Every time you turn around, there, blood is everywhere. Blood at the bottom of the altar, sprinkled on the altar, sprinkled on the priest, on the priest's earlobe, uh, earlobe, toe, and something else. I can't remember. Any nose? I know. Ear, anyway, thumb, earlobe, thumb, toe. Um, talks about the tabernacle, talks about the priests and their roles, talks about rules, talks about ceremonies. And you're, you're listening to this for day after day, or you're reading it day after day after day after day after day. And as it's coming in, I'm going to ask a question that I don't normally ask about Bible. When I'm talking about the Bible with people, I'll normally ask, what did you think of that passage? What did you learn in that passage? I go here, okay? I'm going to ask you this instead. How do you feel when reading Leviticus? Confused and messy. Confused and messy, right? I, I think that as much as Leviticus is about information, it's also supposed to be about the way you receive it, and as you receive it, you're supposed to feel a little exhausted. Uh, when I read it, I am overwhelmed, and not in the, I'm overwhelmed by you, God. No, I am, I just feel so weighed down. And I'm looking at this list. And as I look at the list, it feels oppressive. It's confusing. It feels incredibly heavy. Sometimes it just feels arbitrary. Why that? Why would you talk about, why that, God? Why does that matter? It feels volatile. Don't do this. I'll kill you. It feels volatile. And honestly, when it comes down to it, it feels impossible. It just feels impossible. Anybody including some of the people in the New Testament that were talking to Jesus, anybody that would say, ah, I can follow the law, you're not paying attention. You're not. It's impossible to follow the law. It is impossible to obey the law. And I think God gives the law, and then he gives a thousand plus years to prove you can't do this. You can't do this. And then we come to the New Testament, and it's not like foul mood God of the Old Testament, good mood God of the New Testament. We have proof that law doesn't work. And in the New Testament, God says, what you need is grace. You need grace because you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't do it on your own. You need my grace. Now, here's what's funny. Law and grace leads to the, the heresy of the day. And the heresy of the day is, oh, where'd you go? Antimonianism. No, antinomianism. Anti, anti, words are hard. Antinomianism. A-N-T-I-N-O-M-I-A-N-I-S-M. Antinomianism. Here's what's funny about antinomianism. There's two words embedded there. This happens every time, right? Anti. What's anti mean? Against. Against. Namos. Do you know namos? Nope. Law. There you go. Against the law. Mm. 
It simply means against the law. Two Greek words, against the law. So antinomians are against the law in a particular way. Go ahead and read this. Antinomianism is the belief that there are no moral laws God expects Christians to obey. Antinomianism takes a biblical teaching to an unbiblical conclusion. The biblical teaching is that Christians are not required to observe the law as a means of salvation. The unbiblical conclusion is that there is no moral law that God expects Christians to actually obey. So, an antinomian, an antinomian actually believes that once you became, become a believer, you can live any way you want. You are not bound to any rule because grace covers everything. In fact, they even take it to such an extreme to say, the more I sin, the more it proves God is grace. grace. Covers, yeah. I love the line from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who literally gave his life for Jesus. He talks about grace is free, grace is not cheap. Antinomians believe that grace is cheap. They cheapen grace. The law exposes God's holiness. When you read about the law, you are learning about a holy God. It also exposes our sinfulness. I'm reading through the law and I'm going, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And it reveals my helplessness. If I try to be perfect, I cannot. I just can't do it. Grace satisfies God's holiness. The grace of God, and we're going to be looking at the gospel today. Grace satisfies God's holiness. It redeems my sinfulness. And I couldn't find a great, great word to say this because I, I said it supersedes my helplessness, but it's even more than that. It, um, it, whatever helplessness is, there is in me, God's grace takes care of it. God's grace takes care of it. So there's a realization on my part that I'm helpless, but it's all about God anyway. And God says, you are helpless. You're right. You got it right. And I'm going to help you completely. So the law cannot save me. Grace does save me. And because of that, antinomians believe that there's no further place for the law. There's no further place for any rules. So why don't we show them what the Bible says and find out that they're all messed up? Go ahead. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well then, we should keep on sinning. Oh, this is a different version, but the same, same verse. Go ahead and read it again. Well then, we should keep on sinning so that God can show us more of his wonderful grace. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So there are people in Paul's time, right up to our time, that believe somehow that sinning is a great evangelistic tool. I'm going to sin like crazy and ask for forgiveness to prove that God is a God of grace. It's nuts. First John chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I don't know how you can believe that false teaching and read this verse. I mean, it's clear. Those who are in Christ walk like Christ. They obey. Uh, just in case you're not convinced yet, 1 John 5. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, 
to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, again, it couldn't be more clear. Always go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? One more, James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Some people misunderstand this passage in James and believe that it's teaching, that, that it's teaching a work salvation, and it is not. Here's what it's teaching. Some people, some denominations, interpret the Bible to say, if I obey, if I follow the law, if I do the right thing, if I do enough good works, that will ultimately result in my salvation. What James is teaching, what the Bible is teaching, is that when I become a Christ follower, by my very nature as a follower of Christ, I will produce good works, I will obey. You're, le you're learning what a baby of two months does by its very nature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Emmett Cry? A little bit. Emmett Produce? This morning, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Extra juice. Emmett, Emmett does what babies do. Yeah. Faith does what faith does. Faith always, always necessarily, by its very nature, results in good works. It results in obedience. So if I'm not obedient, if, if those good works aren't there, that should actually be, I should be questioning, do I have salvation? Yeah. Because by my very nature, this should happen. So I'm, I'm studying this, and, and uh, Maddie, your cousin, posts this great quote. The grace of God is not licensed to sin, but the power to kill it. That's, that's what it's all about right there. We are not antinomians. We believe that there is a place for rules, a place for the, the, the commandments that God has given, but it's not in order to gain salvation. It's the way he calls us to live once we have salvation. I'm going to give you, this is going to be the final book of the series because it's really going to cover gospel, mission, uh, and the church, all of them. And, it, and it's one I ran into a few years ago that I really, really appreciate. It's called An Infinite Journey by Andrew Davis. And we're going to be looking at some things <clears throat> from this book this morning. But um, he really, he walks through a theological understanding of life in Christ from dead to sin to alive in Christ to being involved in the church to being in mission. So uh, if, you were to, if you were to look at one book that really gives you a great handle on what your salvation is all about, I'd recommend this one. Thank you for giving us all the reading that'll take us through the next decade. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. And this one is a little, it's probably about that big, but do you have any other things to add for students or anything? No, it's just uh, normal night the, for the next couple of weeks until spring break. Wonderful. All right. So we love the gospel of God. And before we go there, let's talk to him. Father God in heaven, how grateful we are today that we are even aware of your presence, that we're aware of your existence. We're able to look around at the beautiful mountains of Missouri and say someone did this. 
We're able to look at a dense fog in the morning and say, someone did this. And then you give us this, this beautiful book that says, I am the someone. And I want to have a friendship with you. But you don't come to that friendship on your own terms. You come to it in the way that I say. And God, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so grateful that you made clear the way to come back into relationship with you. As we look at the gospel today, as we look at salvation, I pray that you would open our minds to see where we are in our walk with you. Where am I in my walk with God? And if we're not with you, that today would be the day that we start. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was curious. I wanted to see what, um, what Google has to say to this simple question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? What does it say? And of course, you know the way Google works. I tested it with Kim just to see that I was right. Google works on these algorithms that basically say, Dennis has some favorite spots, let's go there. And then they try to throw in their theories as well. So it gave me a bunch. And I'm not going to the definition yet. What I wanted to do is show you what came up for me in the search. Because more than once I've said to you, please don't Google it. You Google, you Google a Bible question and, and you, you could go all over the place. But if you want to take a, a screenshot of these sites, these are sites I trust. These are sites that will give you an answer that is typically evangelical and biblical. So we've, we've talked about gotquestions.org several times. CRU, Crew, that's uh, Crusade for Christ that, um, that has existed for a long time. They go by the name Crew now. Very often not only have good answers, but, but videos that go along with it. Crossway is a publisher, uh, just a really, they're the ones that produce the English Standard Version of the Bible and, and a lot of, I think some of the best uh, theological and academic books out there right now are coming from Crossway, so they're trustworthy. Bible.org is, um, is written by or is, is composed by a series of professors and uh, students from Dallas Seminary. They're very trustworthy. Uh, the Gospel Coalition, I love the stuff that they have to say. Di Desiring God is the site by John Piper. And then Ligonier was originally... Um, R.C. Sproul, he's not around anymore, but they've, they've kept the organization going. So those are, if, if an answer came up from any of those sites, uh, again, they're not the Bible, they're human, they can get things wrong, but generally I think that anything from here will set you on a decent track if you're doing a search, okay? So that's, that's a good way to go. So every one of them will say basically the same thing when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's the literal meaning of the word. It's the word good news. God has good news to share with human beings. The word gospel occurs 93 times in the New Testament. 93 different times you'll see the word gospel mentioned. Sometimes it's mentioning a false gospel, but more often than not, it's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the way that we can come into a relationship with God. Now, broadly speaking, all of Scripture is considered the gospel because all of Scripture is the story of God. All of Scripture is the story of our salvation. So from, from, from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to John saying amen at the end of the book. It is one story. And that's part of what's beautiful about the Bible. It's not 66 separate books written by 66, sep or 66 separate authors spread out over the course of time. It's one author and one book composed by several people. But you can see a theme going throughout. I, I'm, always, I'm always blown away by this. 
If we had just written a book, a book, we had started in 1950 and said, we're going to have an author for each decade from 1950 to 2020, and we're going to do a book on sexuality. How much consistency do you think there would be from 1950 to 2020? It would be all over the map, and yet somehow this Bible is written over thousands of years, and there's consistency. Why? There's one author. The Spirit is bringing the Word of God to the people. So broadly, the gospel is all of Scripture. But more narrowly, when we talk about gospel, we're typically talking about Christ and the way of salvation. When we, when we say the word gospel, we're talking about how can you come into a relationship with God? And it's defined beautifully by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, if you've not read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'd encourage you sometime during the week to read it. It is, it is theologically rich. We're going to look at another passage from there uh, in a little bit. But he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, and he was raised again on the third day according to the Scripture. And then he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, Paul says. You can go talk to these eyewitnesses at that time, though some have fallen asleep, and he's not talking about Sunday morning at Southfield. He's talking about they died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then he says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And he's saying, I'm an apostle too. I just, I saw and spoke with Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection. So this is the gospel. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. That is, that is the, the nutshell of the gospel. And he says, and this is true. There are eyewitnesses that can tell you so. So what I'd like to do today like we have other weeks, is look at a handful of words that relate to the gospel, relate to our salvation. And, and loosely, we're gonna re, this is what's referred to as the order of salvation. Now, having said that, I'm not including all the pieces that are normally in this because I have about 20 minutes, 25 minutes here, okay? I don't have, I don't have a lot of time to go through this, but, but I want to give you the main high points that give you an idea of how salvation works. So you see the words drawing or calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is, this is the order of our salvation. This is the way salvation unfolds. Let's, let's start with calling or drawing. There's a verse in the Bible that makes this clear. Prior to Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't know what um, experiences you've had with death, but death is, is pretty final, right? Death is death. Once something is dead, it's not speaking again, it's not moving again, it can't do anything for itself. It is dead. And the Bible describes every one of us as dead in our trespasses and sins. Now let's say that I was not fully dead yet. I, I collapsed this morning. And a bunch of volunteers said, who's going to give them mouth to mouth? Not me, not me, not me. All right, if somebody's got to do it, I'll do it. And, and you came up and you started giving me mouth to mouth. And I <gasps> came back. Woo! I could, I could not give myself mouth to mouth. If, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm relying on me to give me mouth to mouth, I'm going to die. Someone else had to breathe life into my lungs. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. And prior from someone else giving me spiritual mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, I'm not coming back. 
It takes the power of God to bring life to me again. We're dependent on God for our salvation. This isn't, I sat and read a book one day and went, huh, I think I want God. We don't give ourselves mouth to mouth. God's the one that, that even just gives us the breath to be able to again go, I need God. I need him. John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That word draw in, in, in the scripture uh, is used in other ways in the Bible as well. It's, it's talking about drawing a sword from its sheath. It's talking about drawing in a net full of fish, and, or even dragging a person to court. But there's, there's a pulling, there's a drawing, there's a dragging, bringing us to God. Now, there's all kinds of debate on whether God calls everybody and only some are called to respond or God calls everybody and some reject and others don't. We're not even going there today. Here's the reality. Apart from the call of God, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins. We need God to even show us there is a gospel. He had to write it. He had to give us his written word so we even know that there is a way back to God. He draws us. And part of what I'd ask for you today is, as you think through the day is, how did God catch your attention? Spiritually, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, what was the spiritual CPR? What was the thing, even, even before you said, I'm ready to confess my sins and believe in Christ, what caused you to start to go, maybe there's a God Maybe there's something bigger. How did God catch your attention? And thank him, thank him profusely for drawing you to himself. So there's drawing or, or calling. Then, then comes the word regeneration. 1 Timothy 3, 5, an Awana verse for me. He saved us not because of works of righteousness we had done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So again, here we have God has to do a work in us and the work he does in us is the work of regeneration. This is all God. God brings us back to spiritual life. God brings us to a place that we were even able to respond to him by drawing us, by bringing us back to spiritual life. Ezekiel put it this way, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will, move from the, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God loves us so much. He wants us to be with him so much that he's the one that breathes the air back into our lungs and gives us the ability to even respond to him as, at, well, at all. Regeneration is a secret act of God. This is a Wayne Grudem quote, in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. So here's God bringing us to himself, waking us up, bring us. Now the question is, what are we going to do with the call? What are we going to do? Are we going to respond or are we going to ignore? Are we going to be drawn to God or are we going to push away? What are we going to do? Which leads us to conversion. And conversion, conversion is a combination of repentance and faith. 
This is what the response looks like. When God has called me, when that regeneration, when I'm alive now, there needs to be a conversion. This is the part where I get involved. This is, this is the part where the human responds to what's been happening based on what God has done for them. There needs to be repentance from sin and faith in Christ. So conversion is our willing response to God's gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation our trust in Christ alone for our salvation. So it's twofold, this conversion. One is a recognition that I even need salvation. Why do I need it? Because I am sinful. And if we could count, I've said it so many times, it should be ingrained in our brains right now. None of us is as bad as we could be. All of, us, all of us could be a little worse axe murderer. All of us could go worse than we are today. Absolutely none of us is as good as we could be. No one in this room has reached perfection. And it's not about how bad I am. It's about the fact that I'm not good enough. I can never be good enough to have a relationship with God. That sin separates me from God. I need to repent of my sin. Repent is that literal turning totally and completely in a different direction. It's this is the way I was going. I'm turning and I'm going in the opposite direction. I had to repent at least four times coming out of the motel room. I have this nasty habit of always going the wrong way in motels. Every time I come out the door, I start to go down the hallway and I go, uh, mm, repent. Go the That's repentance. Turning your direction, going the opposite of where you were going before repent, and then we place our trust in Christ. It's not enough to simply say, I am wrong, I am wrong, I am wrong. Some of us are really good at beating ourselves up over how wrong we are. It's not just about, I am wrong, I am wrong, I am wrong. It is that I can't take this sin away. Only Jesus can. Only his death, burial, and resurrection, only his blood can pay for my sin. The word conversion means turning, and here it represents a spiritual term, a turning from sin to Christ. A turning from sin is called repentance. A turning to Christ is called faith. So I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning to Christ. Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as, the living, as a living person for forgiveness of sin and for eternal life with God. Stated so beautifully, by John the Apostle. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right not just to be called, he gave the right to become children of God. We become children of God. Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thank thank thankfulness. So this is turning to Jesus not just as a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not just, wow, I don't really want to go to hell. Okay, I'm going I'm to have faith in Jesus. It's, I am turning from sin, and I'm turning to walk the way of Christ. I'm turning in faith to walk the way of Christ. I'm going, to, I'm going to continue to live in him, in this conversion. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin, and it's renouncing it. I'm done with it. And a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret 
but worldly sorrow brings death. So calling and drawing, regeneration and conversion. Then we come to these three words, and I'm going to do these all at once. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Let's start with justification. And again, I'm going to give you these, these definitions from uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Justification is an instantaneous legal act. It's a one and done, instantaneous legal act of God in which God thinks of us, thinks of our, thinks of our sin as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. So that's the first part. Thinks of our sin as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. And second, declares us to be righteous in his sight. It is an instant. It is a moment in time. Sometimes we get confused on our salvation. Somebody will ask, when, when did you get saved? When did you become a Christian? And for some people, the story is kind of, well, you know, I don't really have a, a moment I can point to. That's possible for you. God has a moment he can point to. God has a moment he can point to that you, that you came to that place of realizing that you were sinful and needed a Savior and you turned from your sin and you turned in faith to Christ and that is the moment of your justification. It's the moment you're declared legally righteous in the eyes of God. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 4 says, now when a, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Now, however, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So right now, this is, this is the part that gets so confusing. There is a now and a not yet about our salvation. You are already justified, but you still sin. You'd think, wait a second, I shouldn't go on sinning. You're not in heaven yet. You're not glorified yet. There's this middle part going on. God has made this legal de de declaration. You are righteous because of Christ's righteousness. Not because of your own. Because of Christ's righteousness, you are righteous. It's a point of time. And it's an act of God alone. I can't justify myself. Nobody else can justify me. God is the justifier. So the point of justification, declared legal and legally righteous in God's sight, begins now a, a trajectory that lasts until the day that you die. Sanctification. It's a progressive work of God and believers. This is part of what's beautiful. Sanctification is not just God alone. This is, God, this is, this is the human being working in cooperation with the Spirit of God. We're working on this sanctification together because sanctification involves me responding in obedience to God. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and believers that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in our actual lives. I'll give you a little chart to compare the two, okay? Comparing justification and sanctification. Justification is about our legal standing with God. I am now righteous. Sanctification is about our internal condition, what's happening with sin in our lives and moving toward uh, more and more in life with Christ. Justification is once for all time. Sanctification is continuous. It just keeps going throughout my lifetime. Justification is entirely the work of God.